0: Psalm chapter 78, beginning in verse 1, Psalm 78 and 1. Amen. You have it. The Word of God says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed of all in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? I love you. I thank you for the goodness and the presence of God that I feel in this house on a Sunday morning. And Lord, as we get ready to go into the Word of God in a moment, Lord, to honor our grandparents in this house, I'm asking, Lord, that you'd help each and every one of us, Lord, feel that conviction and that calling to transmit this wonderful truth from one generation to the next. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. This morning, we are honoring our grandparents. So let me... Say a little bit about grandparents. One person said that grandmothers are like moms, just with a little frosting on top. But granddads, they're just like antique little boys, just as mischievous as I've ever, but with wrinkled skin. It was a grandparent who said, an hour with your grandchildren can make you feel young again. Anything longer than that, and you start to feel very old. And it was a wise grandchild who realized grandparents are similar to a piece of string. They're handy to have around and easily wrapped around a finger. Grandparents, we're here this morning to remind you that you have an important, vital role to play in the development of future generations. If you ever think that when when you're a grandparent, you're no longer important or you no longer matter, I invite you to listen to these statistics. 6.1 million, that is the number of grandparents whose grandchildren younger than the age of 18 live with them. 2.5 million, that is the number of grandparents responsible for the most basic needs of one or more of their grandchildren who live with them. Those grandparents represent about 40% of all grandparents whose grandchildren live with them. And of those caregivers, 1.6 million of them are single grandmothers. And nearly 900,000 of them are single grandfathers. 918,000 is the number of grandparents responsible for caring for their grandchildren for at least the last five years. And 5.7 million is the number of children living with a grandparent. Those children comprise 8% of all grandchildren in the United States. Grandparents, you matter. Amen? In a special aired on MSNBC several years ago, researchers found that the most defining social change taking place today in America is the aging of America. Someone celebrates their 50th birthday every six seconds, and people over 50 account for 43% of all U.S. households. The age group of over 85 is the fastest growing segment of the population in America today. The number of citizens over the age of 85 will double by the year 2030. U.S. population Uh, the, the, The age group that includes the age over 65 is expected to double in size within the next 25 years. Life expectancy at the turn of the century was just 46 years, but today life expectancy is approximately 76 years. My good friend, Dr. James Littles, gets pretty animated when he starts talking about seniors in America about that growing segment of people that have a little frosting on their head. By and large, they represent the single greatest mission field available to the church today. Dr. Little says that perhaps we need to rethink what the scripture means when it says the field is white unto harvest. Because our harvest field, the greatest harvest field available to us, is indeed white-headed. Amen? We live in a culture that promotes youthfulness, denies the importance of the elderly. Many elders feel isolated, rejected, and lonely. But the Bible tells us that we should honor the aged. Leviticus chapter 19 and 32 said, You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God, I am the Lord these are the reasons why we set aside a sunday every year in september to honor our grandparents. Somebody said, why do you do Grandparents' Day? We do Mother's Day. We do Father's Day. Amen. And why why do you go ahead and set aside a whole church program for Grandparents' Day? It's because grandparents need to know you matter. Amen. You're important. You haven't reached the golden years of your life just to sit back and and no longer matter to the church. What you do and your contribution is as important or even more important now than it ever has has been before. Amen? Amen? Amen. So, the Word of God tells us in our text, uh, the the first verse said, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. This is the prophet speaking, and he says, I'll, I'll open my mouth in a parable. I'm going to utter the dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. How do we know them? Because our fathers told them to us. And what are we going to do with them? He says, we will not hide them from the children, showing the generations to come, the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. In ancient times, there was very little reading. Because books were exceedingly scarce. As a matter of fact, in the, the time of the Old Testament, uh, they were written on scrolls. And yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen a scroll of a book of the Old Testament, but it takes an old man to carry the thing around. It's huge. And little kids couldn't pop it open to sit on granddad's. It, it would have been granddad's entire front yard as you unfold the thing. Amen. But instead of reading a book and and sharing the, the testimony of previous generations that way, the traditions of a people were handed down by word of mouth, through the word of a testimony. They were handed down from father to son by stories that were easily remembered. That was the parable the preacher was talking about. That was the dark sayings of old. Uh, those dark sayings are things that we don't always fully understand or comprehend, but there's a promise that God made. There's coming a day when a child is going to be born, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And son, I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, we haven't reached that day yet, but I need you to know we have a promise. There's coming a day when a child will be born after the lineage uh, of David. Uh, Going to sit on the throne of David. Huh? Amen. And his name will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so the prophet said that we share those stories. The psalmist said we, we've heard and we've known them because our fathers, they shared them with us. The generation who went before us, they handed our heritage down to us. They told us the stories of God and His great power. We were sitting on their knees when we learned about how God parted the Red Sea. We were were sitting in their house when we learned about how He destroyed Pharaoh's army. We were with them as we marched together across the Red Sea on dry ground. Uh, No, we've never seen the Red Sea, uh, but we have walked there in the word uh, of their testimony. They told us us about manna that came down from heaven. They told us about sweet water that flowed from a rock and they told us that when our enemies were more and mightier than we were, amen, that the Lord came and he fought our battles for us. These are the truths about God that have been passed down from generation to generation. And Each generation learns from the stories of God's interaction with the previous generations and from those stories they learn where they have to turn in times of need, where their help is, uh, where their salvation lies. Uh, The one that is going to hear their cry and is going to answer them in their darkest hour It is from the stories that are passed down from one generation to another that they learn that they're not alone in the fight uh, that the battle belongs to the Lord, uh, that regardless of how dark the day may seem, uh, that the provision and promise of God uh, will always be enough to see them through. And so when the psalmist writes, we will not hide them from our children. He's talking about the rich tradition of redemptive history. The history of redemption is revelatory because it reveals the Lord and His mighty acts. Uh, it shows forth the goodness of God. It shows forth the mercy of God. And it shows forth the patience of God. How many times we read those stories of old and see where judgment was deserved where Jonah preaches to a lost city of Nineveh and tells them God's getting ready to destroy you because you are a vile people. And how they turned their heart towards heaven and how they repented. They fasted. you understand? Even the cows fasted. Everybody fasted. Prayed and sought the face of God. And God heard their cry. And he turned to them with mercy, and he called back the judgment that was coming upon them. Amen. There's something about those old stories. Uh, We don't just learn of a God with with great power and great authority, but we learn of a God with great love, uh, who has great mercy, uh, who when we turn to him uh, in repentance, he's faithful to hear us. Uh, He's faithful to receive us again into his household. Amen. Amen. The stories of old provide the basis of hope for the coming generation. It's those stories that let them believe this doesn't have to be the end of my story. Failure doesn't have to be final. This isn't all that there is. It is their stories that give the foundation of hope. The older generation teaches the younger generation about God, about His love and about His mercy and about His wonderful deliverance and about His terrible judgments. If the older generation does not teach the younger generation, then there are some things that the next generation will never learn because there are some things that can only be transmitted through the word of a testimony. There are some things that can only be told through the words of experience. I was there and I saw it, I heard it with my own ears. The call of the psalmist this morning that I want to transmit to the grandparents. Uh, in this house today is to pass it down. Uh, Don't let the rich heritage of redemption uh, die with you. Uh, Don't let it fade with your generation. Uh, Don't let it end with your story, uh, but pass it down. Tell the old, old story about a Savior who came from glory. Pass it down. There is a generation coming on that doesn't know anything about Brush Arbors. There's a generation in the Sunday school rooms in the back that they they don't know anything about the early days of Pentecost. They don't know anything about the, the mighty revivals of yesteryear there's a generation that is coming up that hasn't seen the mighty demonstration of the power of God like was often seen in those old camp meeting services uh, don't let those stories die with you don't let those traditions uh, get lost to the pages of history hand them down tell them about where we come from tell them about what God has done share with the generation that it follows you the wonderful testimony of God. Hallelujah. Grandparents, I want you to understand on this Sunday morning how important you really are. You are the bridge that ties the present generation to past generations that they can no longer access. You are the conveyor of stories that they will hear nowhere else. And that if they don't hear from you, they will never hear anywhere. You are the bridge. Oneness Pentecostalism is now 100 years old. There are very few who remain, if any, that remember the red hot fires of early Pentecost. There are few who remember the transforming power of revelation and the utter rejection of society. There are few who can stand as eyewitnesses and tell how the glory of God filled those old brush harbors those tent meetings, those revival meetings, uh, and how the presence of God came in and changed everything, how God moved in a miraculous manner, how He healed the sick, how He mended the brokenhearted, how He plucked from the world a people for His name's sake. I don't know if there are any alive today that can tell the story of walking out. That meeting that day in Hot Springs, Arkansas, as the Assemblies of God voted to, to affirm the stance of the Trinity and deny the oneness preachers that were among them, and a quarter of that ministerial body got up. And as the Assembly began to sing about a blessed Trinity, they walked out and formed the organization that we're a part of today. Why? Why? Because truth mattered enough to them that they would not compromise and they were simple enough to believe that if that's the way the Bible says that they baptized, then that's the way we should baptize. It doesn't matter what 300 years later the church fathers decided should or should not be. It really doesn't matter what some man somewhere in the history of the church decided the church should teach and believe. What really matters is what the Bible says. Uh, Amen. We're a Bible based people. We're a people who believe in the fundamental of the Word, fundamentalism of the Word of God. We believe, amen, that our foundation is right there. Amen. We believe that things ought to be the way they were. I told this Wednesday night and I'll tell it again this morning while I'm chasing this rabbit out of my notes I, I had the opportunity last week on I believe it was on Wednesday Lloyd Wofford, my, my boss my own, the owner of the company that I work for said I need you to run over and uh, meet me at such and such place and pick me up and give me a ride back uh, to the office so I went over and I picked him up and uh, the Woffords are tremendous people they're good good people multi-millionaires people who have uh, a lot of a lot at their disposal but also are active in the church that they're a part of and believe in God and Lloyd said that I was sitting in the doctor's office this morning he said Tony and I picked up a a New Testament, one of those Gideon New Testaments. He said, I flipped it over and I said, I just landed in the book of Acts. And he said, I started reading from the book of Acts. And he said, you know how it is in a doctor's office. It takes forever. He said, and I got to reading down through the pages of the book of Acts. He said, Tony, I just want you to know there's some stuff in that Bible that we're not experiencing today. There's some stuff there that, 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 is, that, that the church needs to take another look uh, at the book of Acts. The church needs to take another look uh, at what's going on there and what's happening there. There's something there that's real. Uh, I I told him, I said, Lord, I got to tell you, that's where we stand. Uh, That's what we believe. Uh, We're we're just simple enough to believe that the church today ought to be the same way uh, as it was in the book of Acts. Uh, We're just simple enough to believe uh, that we ought to baptize in the name of Jesus, that if we lay our hands on the sick uh, in Jesus' name, they ought to be healed. We're just simple enough to believe that God God moves upon the faith of his people. We're just simple enough to believe that things ought to be today like they were then. But you know what happens if we don't share that simplicity with the generation coming on? They're going to be formed and shaped by a world that doesn't know apostolic power, by a world that's never experienced the power of Pentecost, by a world... Listen... The majority of our religious world doesn't even believe. This this blows. This blew my mind. Maybe I'm just a small-minded among us. If one, if there's one thing that I've discovered in seminary education that has shocked me, it is this: the vast majority of biblical scholarship in the world today does not believe the Bible. I want to say that again because that we don't we don't comprehend that. The vast majority of the world today, biblical scholarship, believes that the only things that are true in the Bible are the things about love and grace and mercy. The miracles, they're made up stories. The stuff in the Old Testament, that's just stuff they use to prop up their faith. They're good and wholesome because we believe in them and they help us in our faith and they're good. Just don't make the mistake of thinking they're real. If you go far enough, there's a vast majority that don't even believe that the Jesus of Scripture is the Jesus of history. He didn't heal the sick. He didn't open blind eyes. He never turned water to wine. I'm just simple enough to believe if the Bible said it, that's the way it is. Uh, my Scripture says uh, all Scripture was given by inspiration of God. Uh, and I believe if it was God-breathed, uh, it's truth. But there's a generation back there that will never know that if we don't share that fervency with them. If we don't share that passion with them, if we don't tell them, amen, every word in this book, amen, was inspired. Uh, we talked about that Wednesday night. That means that God breathed. That's what the word means. God breathed. It literally means that God used men like you use your vocal cords uh, to form the words uh, that are written on these pages. Uh, there's not any accidents here. There's not any mistakes here. There's not any any Error here What is written here is true Amen The Bible said Let God be true And every man a liar This word Will never pass away Heaven and earth will fade one day But these words will last For all of eternity We have to share that We've got to tell that We've got to transmit that To another generation We've got to tell them about old time Pentecost. We're gonna, we need to I know some of you may not know some of the things I'm about to say but we need to We need to remember places like Arroyo Seco we need to remember what happened at Arroyo Seco was about 1913 it was a camp meeting outside of Los Angeles, California and there a man by the name of R.E. McAllister got up to preach a baptismal message in a Pentecostal camp meeting they'd come from all over the country to be a part of Arroyo Seco it was about 10,000 people. Strong. They came from, they left their jobs, they left their everything. They came and they camped uh, in tents because they didn't, Pentecost was poor, folks. Uh, they didn't have any money. They didn't have a hotel. They had acres and acres uh, of a dry gourds. That's what a royal seco is. Uh, amen. And there they camped in their tents and they went to a tent meeting revival. And Rory McAllister was asked to preach a baptismal service. Uh, and he got up in the pulpit uh, and he took his text from Acts chapter 2, uh, verse Verse 38, uh, and then he turned over where the Scripture says, uh, whatever you do in word or in deed, uh, do all in the name of Jesus uh, and begin to preach. uh, The only kind of baptism I find in my Bible uh, is baptism in the name uh, of Jesus Christ. They tried to shut him up. uh, They tried to shut him down. They tried to stop the service. But that night, while the camp meeting slept, there was a man by the name of Frank Small, who got in his Bible and was stirred by what McAllister preached. And he began to study it, and he began to read it, and he began to take notes, uh, and he began to see that that thread and that flow of Jesus' name, baptism, uh, in the Scripture and that absence of any other kind of baptism. And as the sun broke the next morning, it was Frank Small who had his Bible in his hands. Uh, that Bible's sitting under glass right now in St. Louis, Missouri, at, at, the, at the Center for Oneness Pentecostalism. It was it was Frank Small who took that Bible and began to run down through those rows of tents, uh, crying, I found truth, uh, I discovered something that's real. You gotta hear this message. Uh, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It was one year later when Frank Ewart, I forget the name of the other man, baptized each other. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And, and what we consider oneness Pentecostalism was born. That's 100 years ago. Now, you may not know those folks. And you may not know every story that I know about that generation. You may not have been there. And you may not have been first-hand witnesses. And you may not even be able to call the names. But you know the stories. You know about what God did in the turn of the century. You know about how God poured out His Spirit. You heard enough to know about red-hot camp meeting revivals. We've all heard the stories. Why? Because they were passed down to us. And now, we stand as a bridge between that which has already gone on and that which is coming on. We are the thing that connects a new generation of Pentecost that's back there to an old generation of Pentecost that's quickly fading from the scenes. And your story, the testimonies that you tell, will be the source of their hope in dark days. It's what will inspire their faith in trying times. It's what will give them the confidence to face the unknown with the knowledge that God can and will take care of His own. The psalmist said, we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children. Show to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works uh, that He has done. Whatever you do, make sure they hear the story. Make sure they know. Uh, make sure that you instill in them the seeds of faith. Make sure that you teach them what your fathers and your mothers taught you. There was a woman, her name was Lois. We don't know a whole lot about her. As a matter of fact, the only thing that we know about Lois is that she had a faith in God. And she passed it down to her daughter, who was named Eunice. And we don't even know very much about Eunice. Really, the only thing that we know about Eunice is that what she received from Lois she shared with her son named Timothy. And one day that young man Timothy grew up to be a great man of faith and in the early church he was an active part of what happened in the first century and Paul wrote to him in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 and said, I've been reminded uh, of your sincere faith. Whose faith? Timothy's faith. uh, Which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice uh, and I am persuaded uh, now lives in you also did you get that The faith that lives in Timothy is the faith that lived in Lois, uh, his grandmother, and Eunice, his mother. Uh, I can't tell you who it was uh, that passed the faith to Lois. Uh, We don't know the name of the generation before Lois, uh, but we know the content of that faith uh, because it was passed from Lois uh, down to Eunice, uh, and Eunice planted it in the heart uh, of a young man named Timothy. And Paul said, I am persuaded that it now lives inside of you. Lois was the grandmother who became the bridge that tied the rich history of the past to the fervent fires of early church history. Timothy became a great leader in the apostolic church because Lois didn't let the testimony of faith die with her generation. What did Lois share with Eunice that made such a difference in Timothy? She shared what she learned from her mother. And what her mother learned from her mother before her. And what was passed down from generations long forgotten. That there is a God in heaven who hears us when we pray. Who works on our behalf and who loves us in spite of our shortcomings. And it got passed down from generation to generation. And today I'm convinced it still lives on. Amen. It still lives in this present generation. And I've come to encourage you on this grandparents' day to make sure the next generation receives uh, what the previous generation has given to us. Uh, don't let them forget our heritage. Uh, don't let them forget where we come from. Don't let them forget what it means to be Pentecostal. Don't let them forget that our elders endured scorn and mockery as they established this great church. Uh, that Pentecost wasn't always socially acceptable. It wasn't always cool to talk in tongues and dance uh, and rejoice in the presence of God. uh, But it was always life-changing. It was always world-altering. It always had the power of eternal life. Don't let them forget uh, that the reason that the red-hot fires uh, of Pentecost didn't die out in places like Arroyo Seco is because what happened there was real it was powerful, it was anointed, and it changed lives. The world couldn't help but notice that something real was happening. Don't let them forget that. Because there may come a day whenever Things change, right? Right now, we have got nice buildings, and we've got great music, and we've got all kinds of standing in society. And it's popular right now to be Pentecostal. As a matter of fact, if you if you're real broad about Pentecostalism and you include the Charismatic movement and the Neo-Pentecostal movement, which is more than I want to explain this morning. But if you we're a huge a quarter of Christianity today claims to be Pentecostal, and that's not including the folks who sit in denominal churches and speak in tongues. A quarter of Christianity claims to be Pentecostal. But I want to tell you something. Before we had the nice music, and before we had the pretty buildings, and before we had standing among our our religious peers, before we had anything, we had a powerful presence of God that met his people in a dynamic atmosphere of worship and the world couldn't help but notice what was happening in a little mission at Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California was different than anything that had happened anywhere else in the world and in that old barn that smelled like horse manure, the power of God was being poured out and lives were being touched and changed, not just once, not just twice, but every single day and night for seven years running. There was not a night without a service, not a day without a service. Multiplied hundreds of thousands were touched and touched by the power are changed by the power of Pentecost. What happened there was something that God, only God could do. We need to tell them because the day may come when we no longer have the pretty buildings The day may come when we no longer have all the fine things that we have now. The day may come when we're no longer looked at charitably and kindly by the religious world, but where we're looked down upon because we refuse to yield to the tide of compromises getting a hold on this present generation. But there will never come a time when God is not with us. And there'll never come a time when that powerful presence is not among us. And there will never come a time uh, that, what, what, that what made Pentecost real and vital in our world is not still available to us. And we need to share the stories. Uh, we need to tell the next generation uh, because they need to know that no matter what they have or don't have uh, as a church, uh, they will never be forsaken. Uh, they will never be alone. Uh, the same power of God that moved in the Brush Harbor, the same power of God that moved in the Royal Seaco, the same power of God that was poured out of Zusa Street mission. Now, that same power of God is available to the church today and for all generations. It will always be here as long as there's a people who will seek his face. We live in perilous times. But we already have what we need to make it through these times. The same God who brought Noah through the flood. The same God who brought Israel through the Red Sea. The same God who brought Daniel through the lion's den. He's still able to take care of his own. He's still on the throne. And this is still his church. The old song said, give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. And I want to tell you on this Sunday morning, it's still good enough for you. It's still good enough for us. And it's still good enough for the generation that's coming on. Amen. We we learn from our fathers. Uh, amen. What we have. We we, we receive this heritage uh, from those that have gone before us. Uh, and the generation falling around behind us uh, needs to know there's an old-time religion. Uh, and it's good enough. Uh, amen. What the Bible says, uh, it's enough. Uh, amen. The of salvation that Peter preached uh, is good enough for the world today. Amen. you got to repent of your sins. Uh, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ uh, for the remission of those sins uh, and you will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, with the evidence of speaking in tongues uh, just like they did in the book of Acts. We can't afford to become the generation that waters it down. We can't afford to become the generation that fails to tell the story. Future generations are counting on us. The church of tomorrow will be built on the foundation of yesterday. It is up to you and me to bridge those two together. To bring what happened yesterday, last year, years and years ago, the foundation that we stand on. And bring that into the generation that is going to see the move of God tomorrow. And the year after, the year after, the year after that. Four scholars were arguing over Bible translations. One of them said, I prefer the King James Version because of its beauty, because of its eloquent English. Another said, well, I prefer the Revised Standard Version for its literalism, it, the way it moves a reader, the way the passages are, can be read with a confident feeling of accuracy in the original text. Third man said, I, I prefer Moffat's translation because of its quaint, penetrating use of words and that, that original turn of phrase that captures the attention of the reader. It was the fourth scholar, though, that paused for a moment and they said, Personally, I prefer my mother's translation. The other scholars chuckled, but he went on and said, No, my, my mom, she didn't know Greek or Hebrew, but she translated every page of the Bible into real life, and her translation was the most convincing translation that I've ever seen. Grandparents, our children need to hear and see our translation of the Bible. They need to see it in our lives. They need to see the faith of old lived out and communicated in the lives and stories That their grandparents share with them. In verse 7 the psalmist gives the ultimate reason why. He said that they may set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God. But keep his commandments. There is no greater heritage that that we can give to our kids. Than a solid faith in God. We can give them riches, but riches will fail them. We can give them position and pride and prestige, but that stuff is going to leave them one day. We can give them friends and, and, and people to stand with them, but even friends may fail them. The only thing we can give them that will never fail them is God. The testimony that we have is so vitally important. If they know what He's done in the past... If they know how powerful He really is. If they know how willing He is to intervene in our lives. If they know about the times that whenever, against all odds, we prayed and God moved. If they know those things, then they can live in an abiding peace and a joyful confidence in God's goodness. They can set their hope, the psalmist said, in God. Would you stand with me, Brother Ryan? Would you come? Grandparents, your voice may be feeble. You may not be able to get around as well as you used to. You may not be able to go and do like you once could. But you matter today more than you've ever mattered before. Because you are the bridge to hope. You are the bridge to faith. You are the bridge that joins heaven to earth. You are the greatest treasure that this generation will ever possess. You are the greatest treasure that this generation will ever possess. So tell your story. Share your testimony. Make sure they know it. Make sure they've heard it. Over and over and over again. I, I, I'll never forget sitting at Sister George's funeral just a few weeks ago. But it, it left an impact on my life that I doubt I'll ever forget. As grandchild after grandchild came up and told about how Grandma always told the same old stories. They weren't stories about her accomplishments. And her accomplishments were many. There weren't stories about things that she had done, and she'd done a lot of interesting things. But the stories she told over and over again were the stories of the miracle power of God, how God provided, how whenever she didn't have anything and she didn't know where to turn, how she called out to God, and He moved in miraculous ways and made a way where there seemed to be no way. Grandparents, that's our job. Share the story with them until they've heard it a hundred times. They said that Sister George would always lead in with, Have you heard the story? And before you could say, Yes, Grandma, we know it better than you do, she was right off to the races. Let it be that way. Let it be that way. Let them hear it over and over and over again. Make sure that they never forget. Make sure that it never slips from their consciences. Make sure, amen, that you tell, until they think you're old, senile, and repeating yourself. That's okay. That's your job. Tell the story and tell it over and over and over again because that's how hope gets passed from one generation to the next. That's how faith gets passed from one generation to another. Your grandkids will stand firmly upon the faith that you invest in them. And their grandkids, if the Lord tarries is coming, will stand firmly upon the faith that you invested in your grandkids. Now, I know I could do an ultra call. I could call the grandparents up and I could try to pray you all through. You probably need it. We all need it. But I think I want to do it a little different this morning. In just a few minutes, the children are going to come back in and we're going to honor our grandparents. and It's going to be a good time. of.